Uh, Angela Counts, she's the Director of Admissions, and Beth Flaherty, the Director of Financial Aid. And they have bios in this panelist sheet if you guys want more info on them. So I will turn it over, and thank you guys very much. Hello, everyone. As she said, let me see if this microphone works. I don't know if it does, but if it doesn't, we'll... Hello, talk. hello. I'll talk loud. Can you hear me now? Okay, I think it actually is on now. Uh, we want to be a little succinct because um, I would imagine, uh, at least I do, I should say. I know we, we're just getting through me so you can get to Beth, talk about financial aid. But um, we want to be, or I want to be succinct because uh, we want to leave some time at the end for Q&A, yes. correct? Uh, so I want to talk to you mostly, I mean, obviously you want to know deadlines and things like that, but I want to talk to you about how we think about your applications. Um, there's a lot of questions, not only about which program should I be applying to, uh, but how do we weigh certain items. Um, and so that's kind of the spirit of what I want to talk about, and then I want to leave it open to your questions. But before we begin, welcome. It's been a long day. I, I get the sense that you all are really diving in and having some rich experiences, and I hope my perception is true. Um, we in the admissions office and the admissions committee, I should say, uh, look at all of our applications in a very holistic way. Uh, so let me start with what the degree programs are. We, as at this point, I'm assuming you know all of our degree and non-degree programs, but we offer the Masters of Divinity, which is our three-year degree program. Um, and if you haven't heard this today, um, while it is a degree program that you can use to prepare for ministry um, in an ordained traditional fashion, it's also a degree that you can use to prepare for other uh, careers, um, even further education in a doctoral program. It's a very flexible degree. The other program is the Master of Theological Studies, which is a two-year degree program. Um, and some of you who may have been to the curriculum panel heard that there are uh, 18 different areas of focus. And some students who are very diligent in their research may desi desire to do their own designed focus. Uh, but you would do that in consultation with an, you know, an advisor. Um, and so that's our two-year degree program. Many people use that similarly as to the MDiv for all kinds of preparation, doctoral work. Uh, some people combine it with courses of study in law or public health or uh, politics. There's just a lot of things you can do with it. There's our one-year degree program, the Masters of Theology, which is a much smaller program. We tend to get fewer applications for that program because traditionally it was for people who had already been uh, living and doing a career in ministry, um, had been out in the field for a while and wanted to come back and do a year of study. Now it's, uh, again, like a lot of our degree programs, can be utilized in a, a number of different ways, uh, but it is a one-year degree program. And finally, uh, we review applications for um, our special students category. Uh, we have the uh, Buddhist ministry initiative, so we have some students applying through that. And then we also have students who just want to spend a year in residence at Harvard Divinity School taking courses um, as special students, but not towards a degree program. So those are kind of four broad areas. Uh, deadlines, um, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned our doctoral program. Most recently, uh, we, we now have a joint degree, PhD, uh, with the Graduate School of Arts and Science, and that's administered by the Committee on the Study of Religion. And so I really strongly encourage those of you interested in PhD 
perhaps uh, definitely visit the website for the Committee on the Study of Religion and also Graduate School of Arts and Science. Their deadline is coming up uh, December 15th, so that's sooner than the master's deadline, which is January 15th. Um, I have to, in good conscience, tell you to be really careful about deadlines. They're, they're not flexible. Um, 5 p.m., not 5.01. Uh, so my recommendation would be you can start your application now. We don't see it. We just see that someone, you know, we see you might have started it, but we don't review it while you're in the process of filling it out. So start early. Start gathering your materials and actually pick an artificial earlier deadline, and then you're more likely to actually meet the real deadline. Uh, but back to the holistic review. So what are the elements of the application that we're looking at? We're actually looking at, obviously, the information you put in the online application itself. We ask that you be thorough there. Um, so for example, you might be inputting information that's already on your resume, but please do that anyway, because that's the first data that we look at. Um, in addition to that, there's the $75 application fee. Um, on the online application, there is an area where you can uh, read about, if you're having a financial hardship, how you would request a waiver. You must submit academic transcripts for all of your academic history. Uh, let us in the committee decide uh, what we think might be more relevant. I have heard students throughout the years say, well, I didn't submit that. I didn't think you want to know about that little class I took at the community college. It's not related to religion. Uh, so it is a full accounting of your academic record over a period of time. You can submit it as an unofficial transcript or copies of an official transcript. We just ask that your name appear on all of those pages. And so we are reviewing you, and if you were admitted, we're admitting you conditionally, meaning that after you're admitted, the final part of your process is you must submit official transcripts. Uh, so this, we have found, helps to expedite the process for the initial review. In addition to that, you have to submit three letters of recommendation. And we recommend that, recommend, okay, I'm being like Sarah Guzzi and being punny, but we recommend that uh, one to two of those be from faculty members. And that might sound like, well, of course, but it's not necessarily always obvious. We get applicants um, who have been out in the workforce for a while. Uh, so it might be difficult to find a faculty if you studied a long time ago. Uh, but if you can, I, you know, I'm someone who went back to school later in life and my, my professor from like crazy long time ago actually gave me a recommendation. So you'll be surprised, they might. So try to you know, at least get one or two that are from faculty. Those of you who are in school now have been in school recently, I would say try to get at least two that are faculty. And then if you're interested in the MDiv in some form of ministry, uh, one of those letters might be someone who could speak to your, voc your vocational aspirations or your call to the ministry broadly defined. Um, if you're out working and you're in industry of some kind, that third one or second or third one might be someone who is from that industry you're working at or a nonprofit or some volunteering work. What I would say though is all three letters should be relevant to giving us a good picture of how you might succeed here in this environment in terms of thinking of this holistically. You also have to submit um, the GRE uh, for our programs and I'll explain that if you already have a master's degree that's completed, you can request uh, to have that requirement waived, but all of the degree programs do require the GRE. Um, the other test that you should be aware of, standardized tests, um, is if, if English is not your first language 
and you did not study at a school where English was the uh, sole language of instruction, then you would want to submit the TOEFL uh, or the IELTS, uh, which is the other test we'll accept. The general, the um, standardized test must also be received by our office by the deadline of January 15th. So uh, pay attention to that in terms of when the scores uh, would be submitted to us. Um, and I just want to double check my notes to make sure I didn't uh, forget any of those as I try to do them um, off of the top of my head. Um, oh, I did forget something. So you do want to submit your resume or, or CV. That's also a part of your application. Um, and so those of you who are undergrads and maybe you went straight from high school to um, college, you may not have a CV, so a resume is fine. Those of you who've been out in the workforce longer and maybe you've published some things or you have things on your background that are not just related to work, you might, be, you might have a CV. So either one is fine. Uh, we also have writing samples you have to submit. You have to submit a statement of purpose, and that's a thousand word uh, document. And what I want to say about that is it's a little tricky. Of course, in a divinity school, your personal background is something that made you who you are, and it's probably why you're sitting here today. Uh, again, as we're looking at your application holistically, in a weird sort of way, we're in a, an agreement together that you're submitting a holistic application. So as you're thinking about personal things you want to submit in your statement, what you want to do is balance that against how does that relate to what you would be studying here and the, and the next phase of your academic and professional career. Because um, there's lots of things you could talk about from your personal background, but just way is it relevant to, um, to what you're proposing you'd like to do here. Primarily, though, it is an academic statement of purpose. Um, and we are interested in not only what you've accomplished inside the classroom, but also what you've done outside of the classroom, again, often as it's related to both you as a person and to your values and to your academic plan. Um, there's another required um, writing sample, which is an essay, and that's a 500 word, and that's for the MDiv and the MTS. You would have to submit that, and um, we'll give you two question prompts, and so on that one, it's very specific. And both of these documents are not only um, are we looking at them in terms of the content, we're looking at them in terms of how you write. And so do spend some time with more than one draft, you know, and, uh, you know, show it to someone who knows you and who, you know, is also good at writing so they can maybe give you a little feedback. I would also say another note about recommendations. Um, it helps if it's a faculty member that really knows you well. I know that's hard to weigh, but... Um, because if they don't know you well, they tend, a faculty member may tend to just give the most cursory, but hopefully they hope they think hopefully helpful information. But someone that knows you well is going to be a more nuanced, probably stronger letter than um, Angela's a really nice uh, you know person in class. Um, and if they know you even, and not necessarily that they've seen you do things outside of class, but if they know about your character, what you're passionate about, even that's even, even helpful as well. So it doesn't have to just be your academic work. And so the committee uh, is not weighing any one piece of information that's like more than the other. So for example, we don't just focus on the GPA and the GRE as the two factors and just dismiss your writing samples and your letters. We're looking at everything 
um, together. I know some of you also ask questions when you've had gaps in your academic preparation or you might have had a period where you didn't do as well in your courses. How should that be addressed? Well, I think you know you should definitely address it head on. I don't think you should dwell on it. It is, it is actually something where you're putting your best foot forward. But if there are some reasons for a gap in your educational history or a period you didn't do as well or you don't do well in math, and that's why your GPA looks a lot lower than if we just pull all your humanities out. Um, those are things that either you can reference briefly or even a faculty member might talk about that in their letter. Uh, so meet with those faculty members and people you're asking for letters and talk about, you know, uh, what, what is, do they feel that they could be prepared to write you a thorough letter. Um, let me see. I want to, I know I'm going really fast, yep. but I, but I uh, kind of want to make sure we have time to, um, should we save questions to the very end? I think or? that's probably yeah. the best. So really what I want to do, that was very brief and I know and cursory, but I want to give Beth time and then we'll, we'll have Q&A. Okay, great. Thanks, Angela. Um, <clears throat> before we get to the financial aid part of it, let me just go through. I'm sorry, I wasn't advancing the slides. I'm going to show you numbers. That's okay. why I'm advancing it. Okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't worry so much about it. Um, before we get started on the financial aid part again, I'm Beth Flaherty. I'm the director of financial aid. Over here, she's going to raise her hand, is Julie Field, who is a uh, financial aid officer. Um, we make up what I like to refer to as the financial aid dream team, all two of us. Um, but we're lucky to be in a school where we're relatively small, and so we're able to give a lot of attention to students. And I think that's what we both enjoy the most about our job. So what I'm going to do today is just give you some basic information that I think will be helpful to you, uh, certainly in applying here at HDS, but I think some tips that will be helpful to wherever you might um, apply, albeit I don't know why you would want to go anyplace else but here, but <laughs> so be it. So we're going to talk about applying for financial aid, how we determine your eligibility, your cost of attendance, uh, the types of aid available, a sample financial aid package, um, how we... Um, suggest that you look at other ways to fund your unmet need um, because it's likely not going to cover everything, um, and then looking for private scholarships. And again, at the end, we're going to try to leave some time uh, for questions as well, but we both have open office hours uh, this afternoon right after this um, over and we're in the same suite in Divinity Hall, and so we both would be happy to um, answer questions there. I would also say that while we will have a question and answer at the end, if you have <coughs> questions that are very, very specific to your personal situation, we probably would recommend that you come see us at open office hours, shoot us an email, give us a call later if today is not convenient, um, so that we can really uh, specifically address your questions. So let's talk about applying for financial aid. So at HGS for the master's level, so this is for our MTS program, our Master's of Theological Studies, and our MDiv, the Master of Divinity, we have two financial aid programs we, uh, for grant aid. So that's institutional grant aid, which is gift money does not have to be repaid. Um, and grant aid is typically renewable for the length of your program, providing that you're um, making satisfactory academic progress um, and that you're um, continuing to be enrolled full-time and we're a full-time program. Um, sometimes we, we have a very small part-time enrollment, but that's on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and then we're assuming that you're staying in the same program. Um, we have a merit-based and a need-based. So the merit-based does not require a financial aid application. And the merit applications, the merit recipients are determined by the admissions office based on the overall strength of your application. And the next question is always, so tell me what do I do to get a merit? And the answer is I can't tell you. 
um, because it really does change from year to year. And I have students that come up and say, I have this GPA, I have this GRE, I took these courses, I have this recommender, and I still can't tell you um, whether or not you would be someone that's gonna get a merit award. I will tell you that the students that typically get merit awards are the ones that have best articulated who they are, why they wanna be here, why HGS makes sense for them, and has really told us about the whole package. So they look very, like Angela said, they look really at the whole application. So if you have letters of recommendation from people that know you, from faculty members that can talk about what you do in the classroom and outside of the classroom, Sometimes there are letters of recommendation from a college president, and that's great, but if his only interaction was singing in this college choir with you, it's not quite as helpful. Um, while he might be able to say you have a beautiful tenor voice and uh, you're a lovely person, that's important, but it's not the same um, as someone that can talk about your scholastics as well. Um, so the, the thing about the merit is it's a very small portion of our financial aid budget. It's mm -hmm. less than 20% of the admitted class will be offered a merit scholarship. And what I, we have a merit scholarship program because frankly, our peer institutions, many of them do only merit aid. Um, and we know in order to attract some of our best students, we have to have a merit program. But merit means that you're not applying for financial aid and we're not looking at your finances, which means that sometimes students um, that don't have, uh, that have financial means are gonna get scholarship money to come here. So we do have a small portion that goes into that. But the large majority of our funding is gonna to go towards our need-based program because we feel like our dollars are best spent being given to students that could not be here if not for this type of support. Um, and for the merit, I would highly recommend, even if you think I'm gonna go and write the best application possible and I know I'm gonna get a merit, we hope that will happen for you, but in the event that it doesn't, you should apply for need-based aid. Um, because our deadline, again, is not a suggestion, it's a rule. Um, and it, what happens, it happens every single year. We have students that are banking on the merit, they don't apply for need-based, and then when they don't get a merit award, they want to apply for need-based, and it's often too late because we've spent all the money that we have to give out. So don't put yourself in that position. Make sure that you know what the deadlines are, and I'm gonna go through them all for you. Um, but make sure that you're submitting the information that we're asking by the deadline. Um, let's see. Um, you would either be offered a merit award or a need-based award. You wouldn't be offered both. But if you're not offered a merit, we automatically consider you for the need-based, assuming that you met all the deadline criteria. So for domestic students, so these are U.S. citizens or eligible non-citizens, you're going to fill out a FAFSA, which is your free application for federal student aid. Many of you are very familiar with that. Um, and an HDS institutional application for financial aid. The HDS application can be filled out sometime in mid-January, so typically what happens is we wait until after the admissions deadline passes and you've all submitted your applications, um, and then we will send out contact information to you about how do you apply for our online um, institutional application. Um, we send you information about uh, your password, and so we would recommend that you um, just sit tight and wait until you get that from us. Um, once we send you the information, we give you until February 15th, 2016 to fill it out. So we give you about a month. Um, I would, we don't have a five o'clock timestamp on the 15th. We'll give you till midnight. 
I would not recommend waiting until that day because inevitably you're gonna be the one that has a problem logging onto the site or your password doesn't work because even though we're gonna give you till midnight, we're not gonna be in the office until midnight. So keep that in mind. I would recommend doing it at least a couple of days before. And we're gonna send you reminders about doing it if you're continuously receiving reminders from us. Um, go on the assumption that we might not have everything and give us a call um, because it's really important that you meet that deadline. And then for, again, if you're a US citizen or eligible non-citizen, you're also filling out the FAFSA. It's important that when you fill out the FAFSA that you use the Harvard Divinity School Code. If you use, and I'll have it in the presentation, but it's also on our website. If you use the general Harvard Code, that goes to the college and basically you're in FAFSA jail. We'll never see your FAFSA. Mm -hmm. So you wanna make sure that you're, making, uh, that you're using HDS so that we do get your information. Um, and so that we can award you accordingly. Um, and we do have a policy if a student is currently in default or a previous Title IV loan, so that's a, a Stafford loan, a Perkins loan. Um, if you are currently in default, you wouldn't be eligible to be re reviewed for federal or institutional aid until that got resolved. Um, if you're currently in the process where you may have a loan that's in default and you're working on rehabilitating it, um, have a conversation with myself or Julie and we can talk to you about um, the process and what we would need from you. Um, again, so the FAFSA, I think I mentioned that you need to fill it out. Uh, the school code here is E00210. Again, it's on our website. Um, the FAFSA can be submitted after January 1st of 2016. Um, if you're someone that files your taxes in early January, wait until you file your taxes for 2015 and then submit it. If you're someone that knows that you're not gonna file it prior to our deadline, then use your best estimates based on your W-2s and your tax information and your um, asset information. Um, and it's always, a, we don't request your W-2s or your um, 1040s unless you're selected for a process called verification, which is a random process by the Department of Education. But know where that information is so that if we do request it, it's easy for you to submit it. If you are an international student, um, you can still apply for, um, you'll still, still be considered for both merit-based and need-based aid. Um, you will not fill out the FAFSA because you're not eligible for it, but you will fill out the HGS application for financial aid. Again, the deadline is the same, February 15th, and we will send you um, information about how to log on once that's available and you've submitted your application. If you are applying to the THM program, we don't offer institutional grant aid for that. And the reason for that is because the assumption is that you already have a previous master's degree. And so we're choosing to use the majority of our funding for students that are getting their MTS or their MDiv. Um, you are eligible to participate in the federal student loan programs. So that would be both the Stafford loan and the direct graduate plus loan. Um, but it's not something that a student is required to do. We don't automatically uh, assess you for loans, so if you are in the THM program and you want to take out loans, you just notify us once you've been notified of your acceptance into the program. And for those that might be interested in the special student program, uh, we don't offer either institutional or federal aid for that because it's a non-degree program. So let's talk a little bit about how do we determine your eligibility for financial aid. And so what we do is we just put all your names in a hat, and we shake it around, and we just pull names. No, that's not at all how we do it. Um, we have a very comprehensive approach to it, and we're looking at all of the information on both the institutional application and on the FAFSA to try to come up with an estimate of what we think um, 
your means are. Um, it doesn't mean it's a perfect solution. I, I've seen students get all excited when their estimated family contribution comes back as zero. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that, that you won't have to take out loans or that you're gonna get a grant to cover everything, so it's important to be realistic about what that means. Um, so what I did here is I gave you an estimate of our current cost of attendance for 2015-16. So it's $51,561. Um, before you get a little shocked by the sticker price, keep in mind that that's what we know you're gonna be charged for tuition and fees and an estimate of living expenses. So the living expense part is really where you have a little bit of a flexibility. If you're good at finding a great um, apartment deal, if you can live um, pretty realistically, then those numbers can come down for you. But we're required by the Department of Education to come up with what we think is an accurate um, estimate of what it will cost you to attend. And again, this is a nine-month cost of attendance because we only enroll um, September through May. So. Cost of attendance is estimated at 51,561. I just made up an EFC of 12,500, um, and so your need would be $39,061. Um, so that's just giving you an idea of what that means. So when we determine your eligibility, for the need-based part of it, we have three tiers of institutional grant aid. We have a half tuition grant, which covers half of the full-time tuition. We have three quarters, which would be 75%, and then full tuition, which is 100% of the tuition. Um, approximately 90% of our master's students are receiving some sort of institutional grant aid. So we do have a generous financial aid program. What's important is that you're realistic about what it will and will not cover. We don't have a program that's gonna cover someone's entire cost of attendance strictly through grant aid. Nobody gets a grant for $51,561. Um, we might have some students, I think it's rare, but it certainly has happened, that between their HGS funding and outside funding, if they're able to get a very substantial outside grant, they might be able to do that. Um, but I think that's rare. Um, but we do have funding, and I don't want people to w walk out of here and think, I'm gonna have to come up with $51,000 to come here, because the reality is that's not what's gonna have to happen. Um, the merit-based component, if you are offered a merit award, your grant, you'll get a full tuition grant and a stipend, a modest stipend to help with living expenses, and those generally range in between the eight and $10,000 range. Um, a little bit about merit awards. It's always hard to talk about merit awards because Julie and I have what we call um, need-based financial aid hearts, <laughs> and so we would love to give all the money out based on need. Um, and the truth is, is that the large majority of you could qualify for a merit award, but the reality is we just don't have enough um, to give out that many merit awards. So what we don't want you to do is walk away. If you find out that you don't get a merit award, we don't want you to think that you're not valued, that we don't think that you could succeed here. Because the truth is, is if you get admitted, then we know you can succeed here. We don't take people, um, you're not charity cases, you're not mistakes, even though you'll get the letter and you'll all think, I'm the mistake, they made one mistake. Um, we don't make mistakes. Um, we, we accept people that we think can do well here and have shown us that they, um, have put themselves together in a way that we think they can be successful. Um, but we don't want you to feel bad about yourself if you don't get a merit scholarship because it doesn't mean that you're not just as good as everybody else here. Um, again, the merit decisions are made by the admissions committee. They're final, they're not negotiable. 
Um, and we don't reassess merit in the second and or third year of the program. So if you don't get it uh, in your first year, you won't receive it for the length of the program. All right, so let's talk a little bit about what does it cost to come to HDS. Um, so the tuition is $26,792, which is probably amongst the very lowest of tuition at Harvard. Um, but we're probably second or third among our peer institutions in terms of um, divinity schools. Um, <clears throat> in addition to tuition, uh, we are required to charge Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is the individual health plan. Uh, that can be waived if you're covered under a parent's plan um, up until 26, or if you have your own plan um, and are gonna continue to be covered under that, you can waive that. Um, when you waive the health insurance, we deduct that from your cost of attendance because we can't allow you to borrow funds to cover costs you're not being charged for. Uh, the university health services fee is uh, the health fee that cannot be waived. This is uh, if you get sick on campus and you need to go to the Student Health Services Center, every student has to accept that. Um, the activity fee is $70. That is money that goes directly to the student organizations at HDS. All of that money uh, is distributed out to the individual student organizations. Um, and then food, housing, books, and miscellaneous expenses are estimates of what we think it's going to cost. We actually did a survey last year with our students. We got a very large um, return of students, because sometimes you send out a survey and you get three people that fill it out, and we got like 65% of the students that filled it out, so we were very excited. Um, and we feel like um, our housing, we tweaked our housing budget a little bit, um, but we feel like it's a realistic representation of what students are paying for rent and utilities in the area. Um, some students will pay less than this if you get a great housing um, if you find rent uh, that's a little less expensive, then that will make it better for you. So it will allow you to think about uh, coming up with less money to cover. Um, books, again, it's an estimate. Um, we actually reduced this part of the budget because we found that students were paying a lot less um, than they had been before. They were doing e-books and rentals and all sorts of things I never heard of before. It just made me feel old. <laughs> um, and then miscellaneous. So this is kind of everything else. This is transportation, it's personal expenses, um, and that's sort of how we come up with the cost of attendance. So the cost of attendance for us is that we can't allow you to go over that cost um, with all of your aid, so that would include institutional federal aid, outside scholarships. Um, there are a couple of areas where we can increase the cost of attendance. We can do them for things like um, if you are um, coming with children and or a spouse, um, and let's say, for example, uh, the spouse is working as well and you need childcare, we can increase for childcare. Um, we can increase for housing on a case-by-case -case basis for a family, we'll go up to $1,800 a month for rents for, um, for a uh, single student, we would go to 1400 so it's not a huge increase, but every little bit helps. Um, if you have consistent out-of-pocket medical expenses, um, so let's say that you're on medication and you have co-pays every month, if you bring us a month's worth of, receipt, we, of receipts, we can estimate that for the academic year um, and allow you to um, increase your cost of attendance. When I talk about increasing, we're really talking about making more eligibility for things like work study if you weren't already eligible um, or additional loans. Um, and then we also can do a one-time increase for a, a computer. For us, we say it's um, after purchased after July 1st of the year that you're matriculating because we wanna make sure that you're buying it to come here and not just because you <laughs> want a new computer. Um, and then also, and you can do that 
through any time during your enrollment here. It doesn't have to be in your first year. If your computer's fine and then it dies in the third year, um, then you can do the increase at that point. Um, and then we do a one-time um, cost of in, uh, attendance increase for moving expenses. Mm -hmm. So many of you will be coming from other parts of the country. If you have never moved before, it can be very expensive. It can be from a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand dollars. Um, and so we recommend that you keep copies of your paid receipts. So tolls, if you're driving across country, um, keep copies of gas, of uh, hotel if you're staying along the way. Now, if you're gonna spend the whole summer traveling, we're gonna have to talk about that part. <laughs> we're not gonna increase for that. But if you're coming from California and it takes you a week to get here, we can work with that. Um, but keep copies of the paid receipts. And when I say moving expenses, it's to move the stuff you have from where you were to where you are. It's not to buy all the stuff that you want to bring with you. Um, and it's not to transport. Uh, we get all sorts of crazy requests. We get, um, I want to bring my horse, so can I include that? That's absolutely true. Um, we get people who want to buy very expensive. Uh, we had someone try to talk me into an iPhone as a necessary um, computer-related expense. <laughs> It doesn't fly. I mean, even if you're talking to Jesus on it, I'm still not going to approve it. So. Um, but it's to move what you have from where you were to where you're going to be. Um, and if you have questions about that, talk to Julie and I. We're happy to go through that with you. So let's talk about the types of aid. We've talked at great length about the institutional grant aid. Um, I also want to say that the grant aid that you're going to be receiving is probably going to be from Harvard. Um, there is no federal grant aid at this point. Some of you may have received state grants and Pell grants um, at the undergraduate level, but that is uh, just for undergraduate students. It's not for graduate students. We wish that you could carry it with you here. Um, we also participate in the federal Stafford loan program. Um, as a graduate student, you could borrow up to a maximum of $20,500 for the academic year. And that would be, so we'd look at your cost of attendance, we'd subtract out uh, your grant aid, and then look at your eligibility for um, Stafford loans. The Stafford loan uh, interest rate for this current academic year is 5.84%. It actually went down from the year before. And there's a loan origination fee, basically a processing fee of 1.068%. Um, we also participate in the federal work study program. This is um, for many of students that are in the MDiv program who are going to be participating in the field ed program, this is a great opportunity for you to have that paid through work study funds. Not every placement will be eligible because there's a separation of church and state. So, you know, if you're going to work in a church at their soup kitchen or their homeless shelter, that would be fine. Uh, but if you're going to do anything, like if you're going to be an assistant pastor, you wouldn't be able to get work study for that. Um, but OMS works with students about what do you do in those situations. Um, but many of the placements are eligible for work study. Um, and it's not just for students that are doing field ed, it's anybody that wants to work on campus that has need-based eligibility for work study. Um, we don't pre-package that in your award letters because we wanna make sure we're giving it to the students that intend to use it. Um, so you would request it when you get to campus. But I've never had a student get a job in September, October, really even November. Um, and run into a situation where they couldn't find a job um, as long as you're open. And what's really great is you can work anywhere within the university. So it doesn't have to just be at HDS, although there are great options here. Um, but if there's something at the Kennedy School that interests you or the School of Education or any of the institutes throughout the university, those are all great opportunities that you can apply for. Uh, in addition to work study, um, the work study cap 
This year it's 5,000. Uh, we were able to get a little bit of increase to our work study. I cannot guarantee that that will continue next year, although we're working really hard to make sure that that happens. Um, so it's possible it could go back to what our previous limit was, which was 4,000 for the academic year. And really, if you're going to work through the academic year, it's probably going to give you about 10 hours a week. Um, you know, most students come in thinking, I'm going to work 20 hours a week, I'm going to work 30 hours a week, and the truth is it's really difficult to do that. So I think 10 is really more realistic for most students. Um, let's talk a little bit. I'm going to show you a little bit about a sample financial aid package. And so when we go out with your financial aid awards, um, because I know you'll all be accepted and you'll all meet the deadline because no one would ever go against my wishes. <laughs> um, but assuming that you met the deadline and you are eligible for financial aid, um, your admissions decisions go out on or about the 15th of March, you get a notification from the admissions office. Within 24 hours, um, if you have been admitted into the program and you have applied for financial aid or you're receiving merit aid um, and you met our need-based deadline, we will send you um, an email about how to access your financial aid package online. And then you'll go on and do it that way. Um, so we send you the information. We do it within about 24 hours of getting your admissions notification because we want you to have the time to really compare your financial aid packages, to understand what the costs are going to be, and to ask all the questions that you need. Um, and we are really happy to talk through all of these with you. If you're in, uh, in the area and can come and talk to us, that's great. But if you're not, we can talk to you on the phone. We can have conversations through email. We're really happy to sort of walk you through the process. What I will tell you is that we don't negotiate. So what we do is we go out with the best financial aid package that we can offer you. And we understand that sometimes another school is going to be able to give something different. Um, and you are welcome to call and talk to us about this. But we. We feel like the right thing to do is to give you the best package at the start of it, and then you make your decision with as much information as you have. Um, I can't say that other schools won't negotiate, but I can tell you that we don't. However, if, um, you know, in the rare event that a student doesn't receive financial aid, um, if there's something that you forgot to tell us that's really important or something that's changed drastically, you should be in touch with us. Um, if you feel like there's something on the financial aid application that we don't ask, but there's a circumstance that you think is really pertinent for us, you're welcome to send an email to us um, and we'll include that information with your application and we review it. And Julie and I review every application, so we look at them very thoroughly. Um, so essentially, this sample financial aid package, so what we do is we send out um, your institutional grant we would add any outside scholarship that you have told us about that you've confirmed. If you've applied for 12 different scholarships, but you have no idea if you're going to receive any of them, don't tell us about them until you know that you're going to receive them. If you know for sure um, at the time you fill out the application that you're already getting $5,000 from Kiwanis or from your particular church, tell us about that. Um, as you become clear about what those scholarships will be, we do ask you to send us just a copy of the award letter so that we can notate that. Um, so we would tell you what your HDS grant is, um, any outside funding that you've told us about, and then we give you what we call a base loan of an $8,500 unsubsidized Stafford loan. Now that's not all the loan eligibility that you have, but our, our policy is that we don't want to encourage you to overborrow, and our fear is, is if we tell you all of your loan eligibility up front, you're going to assume that that's what you need, and some of you may. Um, but we would like you to think about your housing, to get your budget in place, to see what your plan is, and then borrow accordingly. So what we do is we go out in the summer 
um, with a request for you to indicate if you're interested in applying for work study and also if you'd like to request additional loans. Um, and we also participate in the Graduate PLUS Loan Program. Uh, so if you needed to borrow loans beyond the Stafford Loan Program, you certainly could do that, but we'd like to do additional counseling for students that are gonna do that. We'd like to go through loan, um, a little bit of loan counseling with you. So you just get a picture of if I borrow this much money, what is this gonna look like for me over the long term? Our job is not to talk you in or out of borrowing, but it is our job to make sure you have the best information that you can to make a really informed decision. Um, and so then the next question will be, how am I gonna do the rest of it? Um, so you need to think about, am I gonna try to work while I'm on campus? Do I have this great little part-time job that I'm gonna be able to continue? Um, am I looking for outside scholarships? And I would recommend starting that process now. Uh, we do have a scholarship page on our website. It's a very small list of what we know is available, and many of our students have received some of those funds, um, but a lot of that is gonna be on you. Um, Julie tells a story about students, a student that would come in every couple of months with $500 from this place, and 250 from this place, and 300 from this place, and he would just sit, spend a couple hours every Saturday on the computer looking for different resources. Um, so it can add up and it's worth your time and effort to look for a couple of places. Um, if you have organizations that you belong to, if your parents are uh, part of particular organizations, start asking, do they have scholarships? Could I apply for those? Um, if you're an MDiv student and you're uh, thinking about ministry, you would wanna look at the website for the Fund for Theological Education. It's fteleaders.org. They have some of their own funds, but they also have something called the Fund Finder, where you can type in basic information about yourself and your denomination that will come up with a, um, scholarships that you might be eligible to apply for. Um, check with your alma maters, your churches, any place that you can think of that might have a scholarship. Um, and what we try to do here at HGS is we try to use any outside funding that will first take care of your unmet need, and the last thing we wanna do is touch your institutional grant aid because we don't wanna penalize you for um, having taken the time and effort to get that outside funding. Um, in some cases, if you're receiving a very large outside scholarship, we might have to reduce it um, to keep you under your cost of attendance, but we try first to reduce uh, any student loans and then work study, and if we have to, the last thing we do is touch our institutional grant, but we always have a conversation with the student before we do anything like that. Um, and then this is just a lovely little snapshot of our funding opportunity page. Um, so, great, I think we're gonna have some time for questions, but again, I have open office hours, Julie and I, from four to five today. Julie has already run back, so she can be there promptly at four o'clock. Um, we're on the second floor of Divinity Hall. Uh, if you have questions during the application process, I really encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, I know sometimes people say, it's a stupid question, I'm not gonna answer, I'm not gonna ask them, um, but the truth is that there really are no stupid questions, and even if we thought they were stupid, we wouldn't tell you anyway, <laughs> so you should ask them. Um, I think the biggest mistake students make is they don't ask things and they make assumptions. Um, we also have students that say, oh, well, I made a little money last year and I have a little bit of an asset, so that means that I won't get aid. Don't make that assumption. Let us decide if you're eligible or not. Just fill out the information. Um, and, and let us be the ones to decide whether or not it looks like you're gonna be eligible. Um, always feel free to email us or give us a call. Um, or uh, Julie and I are always happy to meet with you or talk to you on the phone. Um, I think briefly before we ask for questions, I'll just say, I think it's really important for you to make a plan for how you're gonna cover your graduate education. 
um, and know what your plan is. And no plan is not a plan. I get that a lot. I also get God will provide, and I hope that he will, but it likely will not be on your time plan, frame, and he wants you to have a backup plan, or she, however you see God or don't see God. Um, make sure that you're thinking about what it's going to cost, thinking about what is my own particular, how do I feel about debt? Um, how much is too much debt? Do I have undergrad debt? What are my plans for uh, a career? And will I be able to support myself? Um, have I looked at uh, what it will cost to live in Boston as opposed to other parts of the country? Because in some parts of the country, you can rent a house for $600 a month, and here you can't get a closet. So you have to be realistic <laughs> about what that's going to be. Um, and I always encourage students to start thinking about living like a graduate student while you're a graduate student so you don't have to live like a graduate student when you're 50. Um, so if you start thinking about these and making up a plan and start thinking about what you want to do, um, then I think this will be much more um, attainable for many of you. And again, we're happy to be resources. Um, so please reach out to us. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them, both for admissions and financially. Yeah. I'm going to skip back because I forgot to. Uh, I'm assuming you all have uh, met a lot of the staff, but I want to make sure that you know who the staff are. Uh, so that if you want to, uh, oh, there we go, uh, ask this question. We actually had our office hours from three to four. Oh, sorry, I That's lied. okay. But, but I'm around if you guys have questions. Um, but you can get through to us either by phone, email. We also have graduate, stu uh, graduate students and volunteers who answer the ask students uh, email as well. And some of you might have seen that we hold information sessions and we have virtual information sessions. So there's a lot of ways on it missions that you can uh, further the conversation after today. Okay, great, over here. Um, two quick questions on financial aid. One is, is the $8,500 Stafford standard per semester or for the whole year? It's for the academic year, okay. so we just uh, give you the 8,500, but again, you'd have additional borrowing eligibility up to, to the 20,500, taking into consideration the other aid that you're receiving from the My school. My second question is, if our personal um, financial circumstances changed dramatically from, like I quit my job, from 2014 to 2015, should we wait until, should we file our 20, 15 taxes and then do the FAFSA because there's it's a short time period between when W-2s are available and when the FAFSA deadline is. Yeah, I would recommend in that particular case that you fill it out with what you have and then send us an email um, detailing your situation and then we'll read that and if we feel like we need additional supporting information from you, we'll request it at that time and we'll be in contact with you. Um, but I think in a case like that, if your finances are very, very different, then you want to tell us that so we can take that into consideration. Um, I just have a quick question about the acceptance rate for each of the programs. Um, can you let us know like what they are or how competitive they are? Yes. Uh, so for the the um, MDiv and the MTS, they're they're roughly about the same, um, and it kind of ranges about 45 to 50 percent. But I want to say a caveat about that. We um, our applicant pool is uh, a little unique in that um, you all tend to be pretty self-selecting bunch. 
Uh, we don't tend to get as many unqualified applicants. So it's, even though that might sound like, wow, one out of two, that's pretty good. It, you know, I mean, it's not bad. But you also have to consider you're, you're in a very uh, academically talented and qualified pool, uh, much lower for the PhD. I'm not, I'm not certain of the more current rates, but I've heard 10%. Um, so very, very different for the PhD. Um, Crystal, will come around and just keep your hand up and if, if you... I if, believe I heard you correctly. You said that if you've already got your master's degree, you could possibly get the GRE waive. Yes, you can request Does that it. also apply if you've got your JD and you're a practicing attorney? As far high, as I understand, it's it's a master's degree. Master's yeah, degree. yeah. But 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 don't write to me, and I'll and I'll and I'll. I'm I'm newly here as a director, so I can find out what has been the case in the committee more and read it. It. But yeah, so just write to us at admissions, and I'll and I'll research that for you. No problem. So I have two questions regarding mid-career students. One is uh, regarding admissions. Um, and how important it is to get an academic uh, recommendation letter if you know it was long ago or if it was in a completely different field and I no longer have any relationship with those professors. Um, and, and two, would the fact that I have a master's affect my chances of getting a merit scholarship or some other type of financial aid? You mean would it affect it favorably or do you yeah. just mean, pardon me? Oh, negatively. Um, so I'll answer the first question uh, in terms of, and this might apply to other people who are wondering this as well. Um, it probably falls in that category of faculty that know you well. So maybe someone from 10 years ago who hasn't seen you um, and you don't have that connection with them. Like my professor, I could go three to five years and she hasn't heard from me. I can still say, can you give me a letter? Because we, we know each other very well. Uh, so if you feel it's someone who would be surprised to hear from you, even if you found them, that's probably not the strongest um, letter. So then I would err on the side of finding someone in your career or other experience who could still speak to your aptitude in ways that are um, uh, relatable. Uh, maybe you wrote grants or you created a program that involved analytical skills. Um, you wrote a, a proposal or a paper. Uh, but, so try to find something that might still speak strongly to your academic um, potential here. And oh, and in, you had a second yeah, part, sorry. In terms of the merit, yeah. um, th we have had students that uh, have previous master's degrees that do get merit. Um, so I can't say, I wouldn't say it would hurt you, and I wouldn't say it would hurt, uh, help you either. Um, but all students are considered for the merit portion of it. Um, I have a question uh, for financial aid. So two questions. Um, one is, what if you're currently a student and you have loans? Um, how does that affect your application? I mean, they're not in default because it's still having graduated, mm -hmm. but... Um, how does that affect your application process? Sure. So we do look at, one of the things that we do take into consideration in the um, grant process is we do look at your previous educational debt. Um, we look very specific, we look at both graduate and undergraduate, but we give more weight to undergraduate than we do. Um, so if you never borrowed anything for an undergraduate, um, but then you went to law school, and took out a lot of debt, we would look at that differently than we would undergraduate debt, but we do take it into consideration. Um, and then also in terms of, um, as long as the, the loans are in good standing, uh, and if you're currently enrolled, they're in deferment, so it shouldn't be a problem at all. So it's, that wouldn't prohibit you from getting aid. Um, and as long as you're 
you know, enrolled at least half time, but really most of our programs are full time, you can continue to defer your loans while you're in school. Um, one thing I should also mention, um, I talked about unsubsidized, but there are some uh, students coming from undergrad that have received subsidized loans, and unfortunately, there is no subsidized loans for graduate students anymore. It went away about four or five years ago. We were very sad about it, but um, all the um, loans that we have would be interest-bearing unsubsidized loans. Hello. Um, so for, the, for, the, for those of us who might be interested in the one-year Master's in Theology program mm -hmm. out of undergraduate, what kind of qualifications are you looking for for that particular program? The, the one year, uh, typically students um, have already uh, received a master's degree. It's not as typical that you would apply to it straight from undergrad. Um, so I would recommend that you and I talk about it and explore that and see um, what might be the case for it. Um, and keep in mind as well that the lack of the institutional aid as well. Uh, so I would suggest that you might consider the MTS, which would look very similar, but it would just be an extra year and you'd be eligible for aid and things like that. Um, I think so. Hi, this is a question for admissions. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what makes a good personal statement and if you have resources on your website where um, applicants can go to, you know, help them think through the writing sample process? That's actually an excellent question. So I would, I, I think what I would suggest is um, one of the practical ways um, outside of whatever I may say to you today is I would suggest that you actually write to students and not that you, they will give you best practices, but what they might share with you is what approach they took to their statement. And I would ask maybe more than one student because the statements of purpose don't look similar. They're not templates. Um, I think really, I'm a writer, so I start from a writer's point of view. Um, I think if you think about brainstorming and first draft, that's where you should start. I was speaking with someone earlier today over lunch, and I said, you know, a lot of times we have a lot of aspirations in personal history, and we kind of have to get it all out. And then once you get it out, I think you start weighing that against what is drawing me here? Go back to the question. What is drawing me here? Uh, what do I hope to do here? What am I exploring? You don't have to have all the answers, but just start doing that. Uh, who do I want to connect with when I'm here? Which faculty might I like to connect with? Uh, what is it about the HDS community that's resonating for me? For some people, it may even be the location. There might be things you can do here in Cambridge, Boston that's related to your field. And then you kind of have to backtrack and think about and what am I bringing here, uh, both from that personal history and that academic history that are strengths? Uh, and then your long-term goals, vocational. And once you start to map that, go back to that brainstorm, right? And just say, okay, that, that childhood experience, it was really pivotal, but it doesn't somehow fit anymore now that I've done more of that exploring. So it, there's no formula, but I think that process has to happen, whereas I think most um, uh, recommendations if you buy a book will just say oh you know if you want to have a really good strong statement this is the template and this is how to do it and I think that's where you get those generic sounding statements um, and, and I think the committee 
you know, looks for different things. We're all different individuals. By the way, I wanted to mention, I think I might have said this, uh, the committee is comprised of, uh, for the master's level, is comprised of faculty here at the Divinity School, um, the admissions staff, myself, Sarah Guzzi, Irene Pack, uh, a couple of uh, members of the student services staff as well. And so we're individuals, and obviously people resonate with different things. But overall, I have found over a number of years working in admissions, um, it's authenticity ultimately that will really grab you and stand out to you uh, versus taking more of that formulaic approach. Um, I want to make sure, yeah, here and there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my question is for Angela around uh, recommendations. Mm -hmm. So I know you said professors. What if I took, so I personally took a lot of courses with lecturers okay. um, because they were smaller classes. Right. Is that, does that count to the same level or should we really try to get a professor? Are you, are you suggesting that because they were lectures you didn't have a chance to connect as well with the faculty that taught the course? Is that what you meant? Uh, a lot of the courses were taught mm -hmm. by lecturers and not professors. Oh, were, lecturers, yeah. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Oh, no, I, yeah, we would consider that a faculty. There's different types of faculty, but yes, they would be still considered faculty, yes. And I think someone's behind you, Crystal. And um, I'll stay after if people have questions, because I know we're coming up on the hour. Um, you probably mentioned it earlier, and I missed it, but um, I wanted to know whether um, when we, you said that if we didn't do well in a particular semester and whatnot, we should mention it, but who do we mention that to or whether, or if we should just put it in our personal statements? Okay, um, do you want to say something well, about I think that? Is there a part on the application? I think there's a question on the application where you can explain um, any, any, any anomalies in your, yeah, or circumstances, so that might be a good place there yeah. as well. Yeah, thank you for saying that, Beth, because it really you do want to lead with your best for your statement. So um, occasionally someone might mention it in their statement because it's more significant than I just kind of had a bad semester. Uh, so you kind of have to weigh, is it an important part of telling us how you got to where you are? But again, don't dwell on it. I think the committee sees it. So it's, you know, we see it, you see it, and then you move on and tell us the good stuff. So. All right, great. Thank well, you so much. I'm going to head back to Divinity Ave so that I can see anyone that wants to come back. Um, but Angela, and I'll stay in this for area. And thanks again for questions. your attention. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you.